Well, if we could, with the Lord's help this evening, the Lord's enabling, uh, turn back to that portion of scripture that we read, Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 20, and we'll read again the first three verses. Exodus 20 from the beginning. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. It's safe to say that our lives are full of rules and regulations. Uh, where we have rules and regulations for almost everything we do. From building a house, uh, there are countless rules and regulations that have to be followed. Uh, to drive in a car, we have to abide by the laws of speed and safety. To walking to the shop, we have to follow uh, the Green Cross Code. Uh, and even with sport, we have to uphold all the rules and play a fair game. Otherwise, we're cheating. Our lives are full of rules and regulations. But the truth is, uh, we don't like being told what to do. Uh, we don't like to be told that to do it this way or to do it that way. We don't like to be told no. Uh, Daniel is always crying when he's told no. He doesn't like to be told no. We don't, and that's because we don't like to be told that we're wrong. Uh, we don't like rules and regulations because sometimes they're oppressive, they're restricting, and they take away our fun and enjoyment of what we want to do. And that's how people have often viewed the Ten Commandments. They view them as just this list of rules and regulations, the list of do's and don'ts. Well, actually, they're a list of don'ts because they all begin with the same phrase, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And after a while of hearing the same phrase, thou shalt not, it sounds so negative and so binding and so oppressive. And yet our lives, they're full of rules and regulations. Because without rules and regulations, there would be chaos. If we built our houses the way we wanted to, it would either fall down or we would cut corners. If we drove our car without a care or concern for anyone or anything else, or the speed that we're going at, uh, then we're sure to cause an accident. If we ignored the green co cross code and just walked out in front of cars, or we didn't use the pavement, or we walked in the middle of the road, uh, we wouldn't live for very long. And if we played sport, devoid of any of the rules, uh, we would never get picked for the team, and we would be branded as a cheat. Our lives are full of rules and regulations. But without rules and regulations, there would be chaos. And these rules and regulations are there not to oppress us or to take away our fun. They are there for our good and for our protection. And, well, we teach children to stop at the traffic lights of a busy road and wait for the green man. You tell them, wait for the green man. Why? To protect them from being knocked down. It's for their good. When we're in our car, we stop at the red light. We wait for the green light. And we stop at the red light because if we were to go through the red light, 
we would either knock somebody down or we'd crash into another car. And so the red light is for our protection. It's for our good. It might slow us down. It might cause us to be late. And we have to wait and become impatient. But ultimately, it's saving our life and it's saving the lives of others. It's for our good. So our lives are full of rules and regulations. Because without rules and regulations, there would be chaos. And the God who has created us, he's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. He has ordered all things well. In which everything in creation, you can see it all around us. uh, The sun rising in the morning, setting at night, the moon, the stars, the times, the season. Everything moves and works according to God's rules and God's regulations. And that includes us. Because as we said over the past few weeks we have been made in the image and the likeness of our creator. And our purpose is to reflect our creator. And we do that by keeping God's commandments and enjoying our covenant relationship with him. And as our creator, God has written the rules of the rules and the regulations. He has written them in our heart. He has written them on our heart, proving that they are relevant to every human being. And he has also, as we see here in Exodus 20, he has written them down in stone, affirming that they are permanent and binding. But as we said, rules and regulations are for our good. They're for our our protection. And that's what we have to see the Ten Commandments as. Not a list of don'ts, which are oppressive and restricting and taking away all our fun and the enjoyment of life. We're to see that the moral law, the Ten Commandments, they've been given to us by our Creator. And the reason God commands us to worship no other God And to keep the Sabbath holy and to honour our parents and not to kill and not to steal and not to commit adultery and not to covet. It's all for our good. It's all for our good. So that we will live in the way in which we were created to live. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so this evening we're looking at the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And you could say that as the first commandment, it's the most important commandment. But as we consider each of the commandments over the coming months, uh, we can see from the catechism that it breaks down each commandment by highlighting what is required and what is forbidden. Or what is commanded And what is condemned. But with some of the commandments. If you've got a catechism at home. uh, There are additional explanations given. Which seeks to clarify the teaching of the commandment. And that's the structure I want us to use. We can ask three questions about each commandment. What is commanded by the first commandment? What is condemned by the first commandment? And what is clarified by the first commandment? What is commanded, what is condemned, and what is clarified by the first commandment. So we look first at what is commanded by the first commandment. What is commanded by the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The first thing 
is obvious, but it's worth mentioning. And what's worth mentioning is the negative form of the commandments. Because apart from remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy and honouring our father and our mother, all the commandments are a list of don'ts. Don't do this. They all begin with the same phrase. Thou shalt not. And such a statement, as we said, it sounds oppressive and restricting. Always say no. But the reason the commandments are negative in their form is because the children of Israel were already in a place of privilege. They were in a place of privilege. Because as we saw last week, and as we can read in verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The children of Israel, they already knew God as their creator king. He is their God. He, I am the Lord your God. And they also knew him as the covenant king. This is what we saw last week. I am the Lord. He is their Lord. And they had also been redeemed from bondage and slavery in Egypt. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He is their redeemer. Therefore the children of Israel, they were in this position of privilege. They had been redeemed from Israel. Redeemed from Egypt. Israel had been brought out of Egypt. And they were in this position of privilege. In which they were to receive all the benefits and blessings of their redemption. As God's covenant people. And this is why the commandments are negative in form. Because they put this boundary. Or this perimeter around the children of Israel. Uh, the commandments, you could, I suppose you could describe it like a fence. <clears throat> a fence to keep God's covenant people within the fence. And to prevent them from marring their relationship with the Lord. And the best way to illustrate it is, uh, many of you will know it, uh, imagine a croft full of sheep. In the croft, the sheep have been provided all the grass they need. All the grass they need to survive and enjoy a good life. But on the perimeter of the croft there is a fence to keep the sheep from wandering away and getting into danger. The fence is there to protect the sheep and to prevent the sheep from being lost and so that the sheep will be fed by the hand of the shepherd. And that's what the Ten Commandments are to be like. We're to see them as the fence. God has given us everything we need to glorify him and to enjoy him. And the Ten Commandments are the fence around the perimeter. Which indicates, the fence is indicating to us what does not glorify God and enjoy him. So we have all this space to enjoy. But God is saying stay away from this perimeter. Stay away from the fence. Uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments, they're, they're in place not to take away our fun or our enjoyment or to frustrate us. They are there to make us see how good God is and how privileged we are and that we can enjoy the benefits and the blessings of salvation. But as you know only too well, the problem with all of us as sinful human beings is that the grass is always greener on the other side. And we want to push the boundaries. We want to test the fence. We want to see, well, how far can we go without being pulled up for it? But the reality is the law is permanent. 
The fence, it's, it's permanent, doesn't move. It's, it's binding upon all mankind. The fence can't come down. The law is, cannot be revoked or withdrawn or invalidated. Which means that it's still as active today as when it was first written. But you know, when Jesus was asked to give a summary of the Ten Commandments, uh, he didn't emphasize our position of privilege. He emphasized that we are in a position of offense and upset because we don't do what God has commanded. He said that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. So he says we have to try and reach up to this. But we fall short because we don't love as we ought to. And that's what upholding the first commandment is all about. It's all about loving God. Because if we love God, our desire will be to love and cherish all those who have been created in the image of God. The first commandment is all about loving God for who he is and what he has done. It's all about worshipping and glorifying God for being our creator king and our covenant king. And to worship God means to show what value we view God. As someone once said, our worship of God reveals our worship of God. Our worship of God reveals our worth, worship of God. It reveals the worth and esteem and reverence we give to God as our creator and as our covenant king. Because to worship and glorify God is to love and to adore and to serve God with a humble heart. It's to put him first. It's to seek him first. It's to exalt him and his name in every and any situation in life, whatever the circumstances. But you know, there's more to what is commanded in the first commandment than worshipping and glorifying God. And out of all the commandments, we have to say that the first commandment is the most important commandment. Because we're not only commanded to love, worship and glorify God. We are commanded that in order to uphold the first commandment, we need to be a committed Christian. In order to uphold the first commandment, we need to be a committed Christian. Which means, my friend, that you can't keep the first commandment unless you're a committed Christian. Because the first commandment commands that we are to know God as our creator king and our covenant king. But we must also acknowledge him to be our God and we must acknowledge him before others. Therefore, in order to keep the first commandment, we must openly confess that we are a Christian. My friend, we are being commanded in the first commandment to know God and acknowledge Jesus Christ to be our saviour. And you know, it should be no surprise to us that the first commandment commands us to commit our life to loving, following and serving Jesus Christ. Because that's the only way we can experience the blessing of eternal life. <coughs> is that not what Jesus said? <coughs> this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what eternal life is. My friend, in order to keep the first commandment, 
You must let go of self and commit your life to Jesus Christ. The commandment, the command given in the first commandment is to be a committed Christian. But what does a committed Christian look like? What does a committed Christian look like? Well, the larger catechism, it's a, a wonderful document, it gives this list of characteristics which, in which we should strive for as committed Christians. And I just, I love the list in the larger catechism because it's all based upon <coughs> scripture. Every, every reference made, every statement made is all referenced to scripture. And if you have one at home, uh, I'd encourage you to look up where they get this, the, the, where, where the scripture comes from. And so the larger catechism, it asks, what are the duties required in the first commandment? What is commanded in the first commandment? What does a committed Christian look like? And it says, the duties required in the first commandment are the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify him accordingly by thinking about him, meditating upon him, remembering him, Highly esteeming him, honouring him, adoring him, choosing him, loving him, desiring him, fearing him, believing in him, trusting in him, hoping in him, delighting in him, rejoicing in him, being zealous for him, calling upon him, giving all praise and thanks to him, and yielding all obedience and submission to him with the whole man, being careful in all things to please him, and sorrowful. When in anything he is offended. And walking humbly with him. My friend that's what's commanded. By the first commandment. We are commanded. To be a committed. Christian. We are commanded. To be a committed. Christian. But the second question we can ask about this commandment. Is what is condemned by the first commandment. What is condemned by the first commandment. Commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so what we've seen already is that in order to uphold the first commandment, we need to be committed. We are commanded to know God and acknowledge him to be our God, our creator king and our covenant king. And because he is our God, we will seek to worship and glorify him accordingly. And so... If being a, Christ, a committed Christian is commanded by the first commandment, not being a committed Christian is condemned by the first commandment. If being a committed Christian is commanded by the first commandment, not being a committed Christian is condemned by the first commandment. Because the first commandment forbids the denying of God's existence or not worshipping and glorifying the true God as our creator king and our covenant king. It's not giving of our worship and glory to God. We're giving it to another God. Something that is due to him alone. And so if being a committed Christian is commanded by the first commandment, then being an atheist is condemned by the first commandment. But the first commandment not only condemns atheism as denying the existence of a creator who brought this world into being uh, because 
In the Bible, atheism is not just confined to uh, denying the existence of God and declaring that this world came into being by chance and that millions and millions of years ago, atoms and molecules, they just collided uh, together to create this big bang and that big bang uh, produced the world and the universe and everything in it. And over millions and millions of years, it has evolved into this beautiful creation that we all see around us. And we've all evolved from monkeys. And it's sustained every day. This is the view of the atheist. It's sustained every day without the help and assistance of God. Okay, but the first commandment not only condemns atheism as denying the existence of God. The first commandment condemns atheism as not worshipping God. And glorifying the true God as our God. And maybe for you, my friend, you would shudder at the thought of anyone saying that you're an atheist. Because you believe in the existence of God. And you believe that this world was created by God. And that it's sustained by God. And you believe that everything happens in this world is because God is in control. And you believe, that, you believe all that because you believe the Bible. You believe the Bible to be God's infallible and inerrant word. And you believe that because of Adam, uh, we're all sinners who have sinned and come short of God's glory. But you believe that God so loved this fallen world that we're living in, that he sent his beloved son, Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. And you believe that God's son suffered, was put to death on a Roman cross, For the sins of his people was laid in a borrowed grave. He rose again on the third day. But not only that. You believe that you are a sinner. Who needs to be saved. And you believe that by trusting in Jesus Christ. And what he has done on your behalf. And committing your life to him. You will receive the promise of eternal life. And my friend. If you believe all that. Which I know you do. Then the first question I must, must ask you is, why aren't you a committed Christian? If you believe all that, why aren't you a committed Christian? Why aren't you, haven't you come to embrace what you already believe? By committing your life to loving, following and serving Jesus Christ. But the second question I must ask, must ask is, why do you choose to live your life like an atheist? Why do you choose to live your life like an atheist? And you may shudder at the thought of being known as an atheist because you believe everything about God and the Bible and Jesus Christ. You believe it all on a Sunday evening. But maybe the truth is you live your life the rest of the week like an atheist. Because an atheist is someone where God is not part of their life. An atheist is someone who lives their life as if God does not exist. Because God doesn't come into their thinking. He doesn't come into the way they live their life. They don't factor God into their day. He doesn't uh, convict them as to the way they conduct themselves on a daily basis. And even the way they make decisions. God doesn't factor into their life. My friend, an atheist is someone who lives their life as if God does not exist. And for some of you in here tonight, you might not go to the extreme of labeling yourself as an atheist, but in reality, that's what you are. 
That's what you are. God is not a part of your life. God is not under, uh, does not enter in or factor into your understanding of life and the decisions that you make in life where you live your life from week to week as if God does not exist. You may come to church on Sunday, but the rest of the week, Monday to Saturday, you live it as if God does not exist. And yet, you already know what the Bible says about atheists. And you know what the Bible says about those who live their life like atheists. Uh, We were singing about it earlier on in Psalm 14. God says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And you know, that's why the parable of the rich fool (coughs) is such a solemn parable. Not just because the rich fool had everything he needed and he lived his life as if God didn't exist. And it wasn't just because he was content with all he had that he would say to his soul, well, soul, take it easy. Go into retirement. Eat, drink and be merry. The parable of the rich fool is a solemn and sobering parable because it reminds us of what can happen to a life that is lived as if God does not exist. But the sad thing about the rich fool was that he knew he had a soul. Because he, he told his own soul not to worry. He told his soul everything will be okay. Because life is good. He told his soul that he's in good health just now. He told his soul that he has many goods laid up for, for many years. He told his soul that he has a good retirement package. Because God has blessed him. Which means that he thought that he was in a good standing with God. But what the rich atheist had forgotten was that he was living his life like a fool. He was living his life without God. And when God spoke into his life, it's not at all what he expected. He didn't expect God to speak to him at the age he was at. And he certainly didn't expect God to speak to him in the way he did. Thou fool tonight thy soul shall be required of thee solemn words and my uncommitted and unconverted friend why do you choose to live your life like an atheist why do you choose to live your life like a fool Knowing that you have a soul and knowing that there is but one step between you and the great eternity. One step. Why aren't you a committed Christian tonight? Why haven't you come to embrace what you already believe by committing your life to loving, following And serving Jesus Christ. But you know it's not only the unconverted who can live like atheists. The Christian can often think and act like an atheist. It was Alexander White. He was an influential minister in in the free church. 
uh, during the late 19th and the early 20th century. And he wrote a commentary on the Shorter Catechism. And when commenting on what's commanded or what's condemned in the first commandment, Alexander Alexander White, he states that every Christian must confess how many atheistic hours we all spend thinking about our worldly pursuits when we should be thinking about God. And how many atheistic hours we spend doing things that are of no eternal benefit when we should be investing our energies into that which is of eternal value and for the furtherance of Christ's kingdom. My friend, in order for us to keep the first commandment, we must all be committed Christians. We must all be committed Christians. But there's one more question which we need to ask about this commandment. We've asked what is commanded by the first commandment. It commands us to be a committed Christian. We've asked what is condemned by the first commandment. It condemns being an atheist or living like an atheist. But lastly we need to ask what is clarified by the first commandment. What is clarified by the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the Catechism highlights that the words before me in the first commandment have a specific meaning. Because they clarify what is being commanded in the commandment. And the first thing they clarify is that we are to have no other God. We are to be monotheistic in our religion. Which means that we are to worship and glorify the one true God rather than any God or any gods. We are to be monotheistic rather than polytheistic. And this is what made the people of Israel unique and what set them apart from all the other nations because all the other nations that surrounded Israel, surrounded the nation of Israel, uh, they worshipped many gods. They had many idols. They were polytheistic, many gods. But Israel was commanded to be a monotheistic people. They were commanded to worship and glorify the one true God, their covenant God. And this was the confession of faith for an Orthodox Jew, that they only served one God. And the Jewish confession of faith, it's often referred to as the Shema, and every Jew would confess it. And it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6 at verse 4, where every Jew would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And for the Orthodox Jew, the the Shema, or this confession, it was understood to be the heart of the Torah. It was the key to keeping the law of God. It was the key to understanding the whole law by confessing that there is no other God except the Lord. And this confession, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's still recited morning and evening by all devout Jews all over the world. And it's so important to all the Jews that uh, the Jewish boys in Orthodox Jewish homes, uh, they are required to memorize this verse as soon as they can speak. Uh, Their first words are to be, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But not only that, many Jews, they hold the statement in such high esteem that their desire is to have these words as the last words they ever speak before they die. 
And Jews, they're often found repeating it on their deathbed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this confession, although it might just seem like a lucky charm to us, always repeating it, uh, they're repeating it all the time. But this was the statement which characterized the Lord's people as to who they were and what they were like. Because they were asserting twice a day, every day, they were, the Lord's people were confessing that the Lord is one and the Lord alone is God. They were asserting that there was no other God in their life apart from the Lord. And that's to, that's to be our confession too. We are to have no other God besides the Lord. We are to put no other God before the Lord. And there is always the danger in every area of our lives to make good things God things. Whether that's our wife, our husband, our children, our family, our job, our home, our hobbies, our health, our wealth. There are a number of things which are good things and great blessings to enjoy. But what the first commandment commands is that we are to acknowledge that it is God who has given them all to us. And that we must never put them before God. We must never make the good things God things. Because the command is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But these words before me, they are binding upon the whole of creation. Not only because the moral law has been written upon the heart of every human being made in the image and likeness of God, but also because the words before me, they literally mean in my (coughs) presence. In my presence. And these words, they carry with them the idea of standing in the court of a king. So we're standing in the court of a king in which God is our creator king, he's our covenant king, And we are always in his presence. God is, we know he is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Therefore, we are always standing in the court of the king. There is nowhere where God is not. And everything we do, everything we think, everything we say, is done in the court of the king and in the presence of the king. Which means that every time we put something before God or in place of God, We are doing it in the presence of the king and we are doing it before the eyes of the king. And it was John Calvin who says in his institutes, he says that when we substitute our fictions for God, we are provoking God to jealousy. And the illustration Calvin uses is that of an unfaithful wife who stings her husband's heart more deeply When her adultery is committed openly before his eyes. It's done openly before his eyes. And so my friend, as our creator king and our covenant king, God commands and God demands our exclusive loyalty and devotion to him. He commands complete commitment to be committed Christians. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And there's a reason why it's thou shalt not, rather than you shall not. 
This is where the modern translations, they fall down because uh, they don't highlight the difference between what's singular and what's plural. <clears throat> because the use of the word thou, it indicates that the command is singular. The command is personal. It's a personal obligation. It's direct. Yes, the command was spoken to every human being made in the image of God. Yes, it was spoken to all of the children of Israel, but it's spoken to them individually. It speaks to each of us individually. Therefore, the response and the responsibility for upholding this commandment, it's a personal one. We can't blame anyone else. We can't point the finger at anyone else. We can't point the finger at something else. We are responsible. Which means, my friend, that there is a personal obligation upon each and every one of us to uphold the first commandment. And every commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so in conclusion, what is commanded by the first commandment? The first commandment commands us to be a committed Christian. What is condemned by the first commandment? The first commandment condemns being an atheist or living like an atheist. Living your life as if God does not exist. And what is clarified by the first commandment? The first commandment clarifies that we are always in the presence of the king who sees all, who knows all and everything we do is before his eyes. And so in order to keep the first commandment we must live our lives as committed Christians by wholeheartedly loving, following and serving Jesus Christ. And so all I want to say to those who are not yet committed Christians. All I want to say to you is. Is it not about time. That you committed your life to Jesus Christ. Is it not about time. That you committed yourself. To loving, following, and serving Jesus Christ. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we bless and praise thee that thou art the God who gives to us direction in how we ought to live and serve and worship thee. We thank thee, O Lord, for thy word that is the only rule to direct us on how we may glorify and enjoy thee forever. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be obedient to it. Help us to serve thee with a humble heart. Help us to be committed, to be committed Christians, those who love and follow and serve thee day after day. Lord, we confess that we fall short. We confess, O Lord, that we are not what we ought to be. But we bless thee and we praise thee. That when we commit ourselves to thee, thou art the God who has promised to begin that good work in us and will bring it on to completion 
at the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, help us, Lord, we pray, not to look at our insufficiencies, but to see an all-sufficient Saviour who does in us and for us far above and beyond our asking or our thinking. Cleanse us, we pray. Bless us in the evening that lies ahead. Enable us, we ask thee there, to glorify thee and to enjoy thee forever. Do us good for Jesus' sake. Amen. We shall conclude by singing in Psalm 96. Psalm 96 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 96, page 358. Singing from verse 4 down to the verse marked 7. Psalm 96 from verse 4. For great's the Lord and greatly he is to be magnified. Yea, worthy to be feared is he above all gods beside. For all the gods are idols dumb which blinded nations fear. But our God is the Lord by whom the heavens created were. Great honour is before his face and majesty divine. Strength is within his holy place and there doth beauty shine. Do ye ascribe unto the Lord of people every tribe. Glory do ye unto the Lord, and mighty power ascribe. These verses to God's praise. For great the Lord and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.